You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. pray together. O Lord, how many are our foes. Many are rising up against us. Many are saying of our souls that there is no salvation for us in God. But you, O Lord, are our shield. You are our glory and the lifter of our head. And we cry aloud to you this morning, and we pray that you answer us from your holy hill. Oh God, we may not even be aware that there is a spiritual battle going on, that there is uh, an evil one and his minions who are trying to wreak havoc on you and your kingdom and your people. And so I pray that you would make us aware of these spiritual realities pray that you would make us aware of our enemy, and I also pray that you would make us aware of where we can find refuge in our Savior, who is sovereign over the enemy and who prays for us. So we run to you now, Jesus, and we pray that you would speak to us through the preaching of your word, for we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. This morning we are in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. Please take your copy of God's Word and turn there with me. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, uh, our strike team will be coming down. You can raise your hand. They'll hand a Bible out to you. Uh, We are on page 514, and the Bible is being handed out. Um, Again, Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. We are continuing to work our way through the Gospel of Luke, Uh, and here just a a few background details before we read this passage together. Uh, I'd like you to note that this is still taking place in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. Uh, In our passage today, all of the disciples are present, and we know from cross-references that they all can hear uh, what's going on here. I also want you to note the difference between this passage and Luke 22, the beginning of the chapter where Pastor Jake preached a few weeks ago, where we see that Satan entered Judas. Here we're going to get a more detailed picture of what's going on in the spiritual realm, and we'll see that the disciples' only hope is in Christ, and we'll also see that our only hope against the evil one is found in Christ Jesus. So with those few things in mind, let's Look at our passage together. Again, Luke 22, I'm going to read verses 31 through 34. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, 
I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. This is God's holy word that cannot and does not fail. The Puritan Thomas Brooks wrote arguably the greatest book ever written on spiritual warfare called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Um, if you read that book, uh, I can just, I'll just walk away. That's all I need to say today. Um, just kidding. Uh, but I encourage you to read it. But in the book he says, Beloved in our dearest Lord, Christ, the scriptures, our own hearts, and Satan's devices are the four prime things that should be first and most studied and searched. If any cast off the study of these, they cannot be safe here nor happy hereafter, end quote. He says that for us to be safe here and for us to be happy in eternity, there are four main things that we need to study. There are four main things that we need to know. Christ, the scriptures, our own hearts, and Satan's devices. Out of those four, which of them do you know the least about? My assumption is that for most of you, you know the, mes the least about Satan and his devices. And so we need to be aware that we have a great enemy of our souls. Satan is real and he is prowling around like a lion seeking to devour you. He is your enemy and he wants you to give in to sin. He hates you and he wants you to give up your faith. Satan is demanding to have you, and he will do whatever it takes to get you. Now, maybe a helpful illustration of this is we have a farm cat named Archie who is really good at hunting squirrels, among other things, and it's really fascinating to watch him hunt squirrels because he'll hide. We have a car sitting in, in the yard, and he'll, he'll hide underneath the car just waiting for the squirrel to come. You can see him just... Uh, lurking behind a tree, again, just waiting for the squirrel to come down from the tree. Uh, he likes to hunt at night, where he can just lurk around in the shadows, uh, waiting to catch the squirrel. And sometimes you can watch him, and he'll be in just pouncing, ready position for a long, long time. He has patience, and he's willing to wait as long as it takes to catch the squirrel. And the squirrel may not even realize it, but they have an enemy who is crafty, who is trying to catch them. And in the same way, we have an enemy who is crafty and he is trying to catch us. He is lurking in the shadows, waiting to trap you. He sneaks himself into your mind and your heart by twisting God's word. And he will wait as long as it takes and he will do whatever it takes to catch you. You need to beware that Satan is demanding to have you and you need to run. But where can we run to? There's only one place that we can run to. Run to Jesus. And our passage gives us two characteristics of Jesus as to why we can run to him. And these are my two points this morning. So first, run to Jesus who prays for you and run to Jesus, second, 
who is preparing you. So first, run to Jesus who prays for you. And second, run to Jesus who is preparing you. First point this morning, run to Jesus who prays for you. So again, remember that this is still Jesus uh, in the upper room with the disciples. It's a very intimate and private setting. And as I said before, all of the disciples can hear this, but Jesus is addressing uh, Peter directly. And he says this in verse 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Jesus begins, Simon, Simon, behold. Now, anytime you see the word behold, whether it's in the New Testament or in the Old Testament, when you read that word in Scripture, it needs to get your attention because the author is trying to say, behold, like, listen up, pay attention, because what is to, about to be said is of vital importance. And Jesus says, behold, listen up, Satan demanded to have you. Now, there's so much loaded in this statement. So let's unpack it. There's four background things that I want to look at, and then we're going to dive into what is being said here. So uh, the background things will just help us understand. First note that both of the word for you in verse 31 is plural. So it reads like this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, plural. Satan demanded to have you all, that he might sift you all, or y'all. Uh, that's a helpful. The people in the South got it right. They have a, a good second person plural. But in other words, Jesus is talking directly to Simon Peter, and Satan is demanding to have all of the disciples. Second, notice uh, the difference between the description here and the one in Luke 22, verse 3. Satan demanded to have all of the disciples, but he only entered Judas. Here, Peter and the disciples are protected by Jesus, but the evil one enters Judas, as we saw a few weeks ago. Third, I want you to notice Satan. He is a real, personal, evil, spiritual being. And as I said before, and I'll say it again, he hates God, and he hates the people of God. He's God's enemy who is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour First Peter tells us. He hates you and is actively trying to destroy your soul. And the fourth thing that I want you to notice here before we dive in is that Jesus is peeling back the curtain just a little bit so that the disciples and, and we, by extension, can get just a little glimpse into the spiritual realm. There's a whole worldview behind this statement that the Bible just assumes even though often we're just taught in our secular culture that spiritual reality doesn't exist. That is, we're either taught directly uh, or indirectly that uh, what we see is all there is. And we may not even realize it, but it can be easy for us, even as Christians, to believe that there's nothing going on outside our physical realm. Or if there is something going on, I can't see it, so it's probably not too significant. But my friends, the Bible teaches something completely different. The Bible makes it very clear that there is a spiritual realm and it is real and it is greater and it heavily, or heavily 
influences what is going on in our physical realm. And so with that background in mind, let us look at what this passage teaches us about the spiritual realm. Satan demanded to have you. Now the word for demanded means to ask for with the implication of having the right to do so. Or to say it in another way, uh, the NASB is really helpful here where it translates it, Satan demanded permission. It's like a toddler demanding, I want milk. And the toddler is dependent upon the authoritative response of the parent as to whether he or she can have milk or not. Satan is demanding here, I want the disciples, and he's dependent upon the authoritative response of God Almighty as to whether he can have the disciples. We looked at that passage in Job earlier, and that kind of gives us even a, a bigger picture of what's going on in the spiritual realm. And we learned there that God Almighty is in sovereign control over all of it. He is the one who initiates with Satan about Job. He is the one who tells Satan about Job, and he is the one who allows Satan to have Job, and he even tells Satan, like, you can't even have all of him. You can only do just these things. Now, that's just Job 1. I realize there's more going on in Job 2 and further on, but we see that the Lord is in sovereign control over the evil one, and because of that, Satan has to ask permission to have Job. Satan has to go to God and ask permission to have the disciples. Satan has to go to God and ask permission to have us. God is sovereign over all things, including Satan. Just like the parent is the authority over the toddler demanding milk, God is the authority over Satan demanding to have his people. Now here's the interesting and the sobering thing that we need to take note of. God granted permission to Satan to have Job. God granted permission to Satan, as we'll see here, to have Peter. And God grants permission at times for Satan to have us. So what I want to look at now is what is Satan demanding? And then I want to look at why would God allow this to happen? So what is Satan demanding to do when he gets God's people? It says in the text, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Satan wants to sift the disciples and us like wheat. Now, during Jesus' time, wheat would be sifted through a sieve similar to the one that's in the picture here. And what they would do is they would shake it violently up and down so that the, it would separate the wheat, which is good, and the chaff, which is bad, they're trying to get rid of. So they, they would shake it up and down, and the wheat would stay on the top, and then the chaff would fall out the bottom, and then, uh, you know, usually the wind would drive it away, thinking of Psalm 1, the imagery there. And so the idea here is that Satan wants to shake God's people so violently that they would fall like the chaff falls when wheat is sifted. This is what Satan has demanded God to do to the disciples. And this is what Satan has demanded God to do to us. Satan hates you, and he wants to sift you like wheat. He will shake you so brutally at times, trying to make you fall. He will make you suffer, trying to make you leave the faith. 
He will tempt you in ways that are so tricky, trying to get you to sin. He will persecute you, trying to make you deny Jesus. Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's trying to choke out your faith through the cares of the world. He's trying to ensnare you in your own self-absorption. He's trying to distract you through entertainment. He's trying to get you to believe that gathering like this weekly is a boring thing. He's trying to convince you that he doesn't even exist. He's trying to make you believe that you don't need God because you have everything that you need. He's doing whatever God allows him to do to get you to turn your back on Christ. And we need to be aware because his craft and his power are great and he is armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. So Satan is demanding to have God's people to sift them like wheat, and God has allowed him permission to do this. So this begs a question. Why would God allow this? Now, we have to, I have to admit a couple things at the beginning here. There's no way we can understand this exhaustively. We can only understand what has been revealed to us in Scripture. And the second thing I have to admit here is I only have about uh, three to four minutes to answer this question because there's a lot more text. Uh, so this is not meant to be exhaustive, uh, but just to get us to be thinking. So here's a couple things that we do know from Scripture. We know that God is sovereign. We've already seen this and that God allows this to happen. We also know that throughout Scripture, God is good in his character, and he is not the author of sin, and he is not the author of evil. Now, uh, Pastor Jake hit on this a few weeks ago, and so I'm not going to dive too deep into it. And so if you want to learn more about that, you can listen to his message from a few weeks ago. He explained it really well. But the point that I want to hit on, and something that we also know from Scripture, is that God has something greater in mind for his people than earthly comfort. In other words, yes, Satan is trying to get us to turn our back on Christ. He's trying to sift us like wheat. What we know from Scripture is that Satan means it for evil, but God means it for good. Again, God is good in his character, and he is working all things together for good for his people. That's Romans 8.28. And if you read Romans 8.29, that good is conformity to the image of Christ. And what this means is that God is using the devices of Satan to grow you into spiritual maturity. God is allowing you to be sifted like wheat so that you would be refined into his image. God is allowing you to suffer so that you would rely completely on Christ Jesus. God is allowing you to be afflicted to see who you truly believe in when times are hard and to see who you are truly living for. God is allowing Satan to run after you so that you would then run after Jesus. God allows these things to happen because it uncovers the filth and the sin in our hearts. A few weeks ago, we had a heating element go out on our stove. Um, and to replace it, we had to take out uh, the drip pan at the bottom of the stove. And uh, underneath there, uh, I'm told from my wife that it was completely disgusting. And we had to clean it out. 
Also, to change it, we had to move the stove away from the wall, uh, just because we had to access the back panel. Um, which, by the way, I get two man points that don't mean anything for changing this element. I had to remove four screws. Um, but we moved the stove out. Marty and I joke about man points. Um, but I had to move the stove out, and behind the stove, it was completely disgusting. There was, like, sticky things and uh, cheese balls from, like, two years ago that were not orange anymore. And that needed to be cleaned out. And so here's the thing. Because the element broke, that uncovered the filth that was there all along. And this is the same with our lives when we are sifted like wheat. Satan causes things in our lives to be broken or destroyed or lost. And when this happens, it uncovers the filth of sin that was there all along. And when this filth of sin is uncovered, there are two responses that we can have. One is that your hearts can become so hardened to this that you can run away from God. And this is what Satan wants. And so if this is you this morning, if you're going through a hard thing and your heart is becoming hard towards God because of it, I urge you to be aware of the spiritual realities that are going on and I plead with you to run to Christ. But the other response we can have when the filth of our sin is uncovered is to realize that God means it for our good, that he wants to uncover these filthy sins so that we may bring them to Christ to be cleansed. This is the great hope of the gospel. God wants to reveal our deep sins so that we would carry them to the cross so that we can find full forgiveness and freedom from things that we didn't even know was there, but they were there all along. My point is that God is allowing Satan to run after you so that you would run after Christ because it is in Christ alone that you can be saved from the depths of your sin and it is in Christ alone that you can be safe from the evil one. All right, back to the text. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Here's where hope is for Peter and the disciples. Here's where hope is for us, that Jesus prays for us that our faith may not fail. That Jesus prays for us that we would be kept from the evil one. And oh, here we just get a little but beautiful picture of our great high priest in action. Our great high priest who, uh, Hebrews tells us, after making purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Our great high priest who has been tempted in every way that we have been, yet he was without sin. And so then we can boldly approach his throne room. Our great high priest who has saved us to the uttermost and always lives to make intercession for us. This is our, the great hope that we have, that Christ is standing between us and Satan, and he is praying to God Almighty on our behalf. He is interceding for us. He is praying for us. And therefore, if you are in Christ, Romans 8.34 is true for you. Who is to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. 
More than that, he was the one who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. This is our great hope that Christ Jesus, our great high priest, is continually praying for us unto God. And therefore, we can say with the hymn, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Christ Jesus is alive, and he is pleading for us to God. And this is our hope against the onslaught of Satan. And we need to run to Jesus so that he would pray for us that our faith may not fail. And we need to run to Jesus by pleading with him that he would pray for us. My friends, Satan is demanding to have you. And you need to run. Run to Jesus who prays for you. And run to Jesus who is preparing you. So second point this morning, run to Jesus who is preparing you. So what we've seen is that Jesus is telling Peter that Satan demands to have him and the disciples to sift them like wheat, but Jesus has prayed that his faith may not fail. And then Jesus continues in the second part of verse 32. You can look at it. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now here note that the you is singular, and so Jesus is talking specifically to Peter now. When you, Peter, have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now for Peter to turn again, it first means that he had to turn away. In other words, Satan demanded to have Peter to sift him like wheat. Jesus said yes to Satan, and therefore Peter will give in to Satan's temptation, but his faith will not ultimately fail. He will turn again, and when he does, Jesus commands him to strengthen his brothers. Now, implicit in the statement is that by God's sovereign goodness, Peter needed to suffer at the hands of Satan so that he would then be prepared to go and strengthen the brothers. And we know from John 21 and the book of Acts that this is exactly what happened. And maybe my favorite passage in all of Scripture, the first time that Peter saw Jesus after he denied him, he was on a boat about, about 100 yards from shore, and he saw Jesus on the shore, and the text says, at least in the ESV, that he threw himself into the sea, and then he swam to go and see Jesus, because he was so excited to be restored to Christ. I love that. And then Jesus said to Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then each time Jesus said, Peter, feed my sheep. Strength, he didn't say strengthen the brothers specifically, but that's what he means, strengthen the brothers. And this is exactly what Peter did. Peter became one of the most influential apostles and leaders of the early church as he fed the sheep of Christ and as he strengthened the brothers. But according to God's perfect plan, Peter needed to first suffer at the hands of Satan so that he would then be prepared to go and strengthen the brothers. And the same is true for us. God allows us to suffer at the hands of Satan so that when we turn again, and don't miss this, this is the great gospel hope, we can turn again. When we give in to temptation, we can turn again because we have this great hope in the gospel of Christ Jesus. But when we turn again, we are to go and strengthen others. 
In other words, we need to be strengthened through fire so that we can then go and strengthen others. Our trials and our temptations are the training grounds for us to go and strengthen others. So when you give in to Satan's devices, repent and go and strengthen others. Run to Jesus who is preparing you to strengthen others. What trials and temptations have prepared you to strengthen others? Who is going through something similar to you that you can strengthen maybe this week or soon? Our trials and temptations are the training ground for us to strengthen others. Now back to the text. So Jesus tells Peter that Satan is going to have him and that when he turns again, go and strengthen the brothers. And Peter responds in verse 33. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now I love Peter's response. I appreciate his sentiment, uh, but he is completely disagreeing with Jesus here, which as an aside, it will never go well with you to disagree with Jesus. Jesus says, Satan is coming for you and you will turn away. Peter says, no, I won't. He says, I am ready to follow you both to prison and to death. And I just want to pause here for a moment and ask, do you think that you're ready to follow Jesus to prison or to death? Are you actually? If someone came up to you and put a gun to your head and said, if you deny Christ, you will live. But if you hold fast to your faith in Christ, you will die. How would you respond? I'd like to think that I would respond by holding fast to Christ, and I pray that we would all hold fast to Christ if that ever happened. But this is a convicting question for me because if I'm too scared to share Jesus with a family member or that person at the doctor's office, how would I actually respond with a gun to my head? Peter thought that he was prepared to follow Jesus. But he wasn't, and Jesus knew that he wasn't prepared. And so he responds in verse 34. Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now I've read that it was common during this time and in this place for roosters to crow throughout the night. Uh, And they could also crow at the advent of dawn, which is maybe what we think of when we hear the rooster crowing. Um, But either way, Uh, Jesus' point is very clear. Peter, you're not only going to deny me, you're going to deny me very soon. This denial will take place so soon that we won't even leave Luke chapter 22 before we see the fulfillment of this prophecy. And because we're going to look at that text in a few weeks, there's just two things that I want to note here about this prophecy of Jesus. First thing, we see here a little beautiful glimpse of Jesus as the ultimate prophet. Now, you can think about it like this. Uh, A priest, which we've already seen Jesus, who is our priest, he's also our prophet, but a priest is someone who represents the people before the holy God. 
And a prophet is someone who represents God to the people through the word of God. And Jesus is the ultimate prophet who speaks the ultimate word to the people. Hebrews 1 tells us that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. John 1 tells us that Jesus is the word of God who reveals to us uh, everything that we need to know about God the Father. And his word has the final say on all things, and his word will most assuredly come to pass. And to be clear, his word is not just the red letters. His word is all of the Bible. Just need a drink of water. Time out for a second. So Jesus' word is not just the red letters, but it is all of Scripture. And we have all of Scripture so readily available to us. Jesus is our ultimate prophet who has given us his word. Or to put this in the context of our spiritual battle, when Jesus himself was tempted in Matthew 4, which I encourage you to read that, he was tempted three times by the evil one, and each time he quoted Scripture, and it defeated Satan. Jesus is our prophet, and we can quote the prophetic word to defeat the evil one. And for us to quote the prophetic word, we need to know the word, which means that we need to read the word of God. We need to meditate on the word of God. We need to have it memorized in our head. We need to hide it deep down into our hearts, and we need to use it as our sword as we go out for battle. Now, I know I've said this before in other contexts, but we need to be like John Bunyan, who it was said of John Bunyan that, If he was pricked, he would bleed Bible. That needs to be us, so that when we are pricked by the evil one, our response would be, Bible. Our response would be, be gone, Satan, for it is written. And then you can quote the specific passage that you need at that moment. Jesus is the ultimate prophet who has spoken to us by his word. That's the first thing I want to note here about this prophecy. The second thing is, that we learn from this prophecy that Peter needed to suffer at the hands of Satan so that he was prepared to give his life for Jesus. Now we know from John 21 and we know from church history that, G- or, that Peter was actually martyred for his faith in Christ uh, and that he was crucified upside down because he said he was unworthy to die in the same way as Jesus. But at our point in the story in Luke 22, Peter was not yet ready to follow Jesus all the way to the death. Jesus, needed, Jesus knew that he needed to go through the, this testing of denial so that he would be prepared to follow Jesus all the way. Peter's denial is the training ground for his martyrdom because Peter learned that through denying Jesus, that denying Jesus is worse than death. And so he had to go through this trial to be ready to follow Jesus to the end. This is another reason why God allows Satan to mess with us. Again, Satan means it for evil, but God means it for good. Jesus Christ is worth our entire lives, period. But sometimes we have to go through hard things so that we can learn this lesson. 
We can't truly believe and live as if Jesus is worth our whole lives if we haven't gone through significant testing. We're not prepared to give up the things of this world for Christ until we lose the things that we put our hope in. We're not prepared to burn for Jesus if we haven't walked through the fiery furnace. We're not prepared to give up our lives for Christ until we've learned that denying Jesus, even in the most insignificant way, is worse than death itself. It is through affliction that we learn that God is with us and that God is for us. And when we know this deep down in our bones, through the fiery furnace, through the fiery affliction, we can stand firm even in the worst scenario because we know that Christ is worth all things. God allows us to suffer at the hands of Satan so that we would be prepared to follow Christ even to the death if that's what he called us to. Our trials and our temptations are the training grounds for us to follow Christ all the way. What have you or are you going through right now that is preparing you to follow Christ to the death? Or let me ask the same thing in another way. What have you or are you going through right now that is preparing you to see that Christ is worth your entire life? My friends, Satan is demanding to have you. And sometimes, God allows him to have you. Satan means it for evil, but God means it for good. God is allowing this to happen so that you would run to Jesus who prays for you and so that you would run to Jesus who is preparing you to strengthen others and who is preparing you to follow him even unto death. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are in sovereign control over all things, that there's not one rogue molecule in the entire universe, and that you have a grand plan for all of it. We thank you, Father, for your deep love for your people that you sent Christ to live and to die and to rise again and to continually intercede for us. I pray, O oh God, that you would open our minds and our hearts to this spiritual reality, that we have a great enemy of our souls who is doing whatever he can to destroy us. God, would this truth cause us to run to Christ Jesus? Because we believe, Lord Jesus, that you are our only hope because you pray for us and you are preparing to use us and you are preparing us to go and strengthen others. So would we run to you? Empower us by your spirit to do just that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.